0: It's Sports Bizarre. I'm going to kick back and enjoy this. Some of these stories, you would say, that cannot be true.
1: The Hunt for the Weirdest. It's doing a coaster ride this one, isn't (laughs) it? It makes Game of Thrones look
0: like a sitcom. (laughs) Strangest. Hang on. He's on another level. What are you doing? (laughs) A lot of our stories are starting with someone fleeing moneylenders. Most Unbelievable. This is
1: car crash stories to ever occur stop
0: this right now it's just (laughs)
1: carnage that
0: is the densest bit of mayhem so (laughs) many subplots in this story in the world of sport i think we're learning that Embarrassment is not something Sports bizarre A naked fan ran onto the field and slid into second base You know, I don't drink water I cannot stand drinking water I am the president of everybody I am the president of the whole FIFA Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out It's time for the leaders
1: of the hunt it's really simple, get there early, get the good back It's
0: Titus O'Reilly
1: and Mick Malloy. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar. I'm Mick Malloy, and joining me uh, with the story
0: as always doing the heavy lifting is Titus O'Reilly. How are you Titus? Oh, I'm very well and I can we just say a big uh, welcome and thank you to everyone who's become a Bazaar Plus member. Unbelievable. A huge takeaway thrilled. You get a bonus episode every week. Yeah, you get some uh, classified material. Yeah, so if you haven't signed up, there's a link in the show notes. But And we know we push this hard, and we will shamelessly push this hard forever. Well, <laughs> you know, we like the high life.
1: And, <laughs> 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 we drink through That's it, it pretty fast. So, That's you right. know, you're, you're uh, investing
0: in – you could put money in a charity or –
1: Allow us to <laughs> live a short, unhealthy life. <laughs> Thank you uh, for your support. Yeah, thanks,
0: everyone. All for right, being on board. what do you got? Well, we haven't done surfing yet. Oh, yeah, right. So I thought, I don't know if we've done any water sports. I don't even know if we've done a water sport yet. So uh,
1: Swimming? Did we do swimming? We've
0: done some when we've done the Olympics and stuff. So I We've think, done ice
1: skating. Is that a water sport? Yeah,
0: you know, that's a good point. It's a, it's a
1: frozen water it's, sport. It's, halfway, it's, the, it's the gateway drug to water sports. I've said this before. If you were going to choose a sport, I can't think of a better – there's two that stick out for me, golf and surfing, which means – you get to choose a beautiful part of the planet. Yeah. You get to go out in nature. It's usually summer. Every time you surf, it's a different location. Yeah. And what a m- wonderful thing to do, as opposed to, say, ten-pin bowling, where it doesn't <laughs> matter where you are in the world. The pins are the same. The lane's the you're same. You're inside. And you're hiring shoes. I think surfing's got to be up there, doesn't it? If Surfing did. would have to be up there for lifestyle. You never see an uptight surfer. Have you ever seen one?
0: No, really. You never see one that's really stressed.
1: Even McFanning being attacked by a shark kind of looked a bit okay with it. Uh, yeah, like it wasn't. Okay, a- dude, let's just <laughs> dial it down a notch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he didn't panic, did he? No, not at all. Well, this guy we're going to talk about today, his nickname was Bunker. His Bunker Speckles. Never heard of him. Hardcore surfing people would know who he was. He was a. Yeah. Uh, Icon in the sixties and seventies, big in the surfing movement. We're going to get to all the background of that, but hardcore surfing people listen to podcasts.
1: (laughs) I can't (laughs) imagine they're out there in the waves listening. They're they're sitting on a beach at a clam bake.
0: He was a huge part of the sixties and seventies surf scene, both in Hawaii and San Diego and California. Hang out with all the top surfers. Part of that, and he was this. He's the prototype for a surfing. Stereotype that exists really? to this day of the sort of the blonde hair hedonistic drug taking surfing rock star. He from was which the country? first from America. What's his name?
1: Buster Sprinkles.
0: Bunker Sprinkles. Buster
1: Sprinkles. Oh.
0: So what we're going to do is we're going to get into his incredibly l- bizarre life. Okay. But we're also going to do a thing of going massively through his family because his family and how he became how he is. Is one of the wildest stories I think we've gonna ever cover. Oh, so it all leads up to this guy who ends up being this absolute icon of in surfing. All right. But we gotta get there through a lot of his back family, who were possibly the craziest family I've ever read about. Oh, that's a big call. It's a big call. A very big call. Now he was born Adolf Bernard Spreckles <laughs> the Third.
1: No wonder he's gone with Bunker. So Bunker
0: is his nickname. Yeah. Um, He was born in 1949, but really to tell his story, we have to go all the way back to 1828 in Germany.
1: 1828.
0: Where his great-grandfather was born, Adolf Klaus Spreckles. Now, let's call him Klaus because there's a lot of (laughs) Adolfs. <laughs> in, this story. in this story. It's so, funny.
1: Adolf drops off after it, a certain yeah, why moment that? in
0: history. <laughs> why was that? <laughs> so, this is Adolf, A D O L P H. But he was born in Germany, and we'll call him Klaus. Born in 1828. This is Bunker's great great grandfather. In 1846, he, he says goodbye to Hanover in Germany and moves to the United States. And the story is he had one German failure in his pocket. So basically, he gave him $1 in his pocket and that was it. It's a classic story. Classic story. His name originally was von Spreckelson. <laughs> so he changes it to Spreckles.
1: Uh, Spreckles sounds more, More American. Von Spreckelson. Yeah, Von Spreckelson. Like sort of. No good.
0: He arrives in New York and he marries his childhood sweetheart. She'd gone there three years before with her brother to New York. He's followed her. So he's followed her over and the minute he turns up, Anna Christina mangles. They instantly get married and they go on to have 13 children. Sheesh. Only five are fortunate enough to make it to adulthood because this is in the days where that's what happened, yeah. right? In 1856, they relocate to San Francisco and Spreckles begins a brewery. And it's doing very ah, well.
1: Sprechle. That's a good name for a beer. <laughs> Spreckles. It's not the top off of Spreckles.
0: So, exactly. So, he, he, you know, German brewer, very right. common story. But in 1863, he's doing it with his brothers. Yeah. He decides to sell his shares in it for $75,000 at the time, which is quite a bit of money. That's but he call. has identified a new venture with what he believes is quicker and higher profits. Yes. And that is sugar because he liked the fact that, That Americans consume more sugar per capita than Europeans. (laughs) It didn't take him long to catch on, did it? Yeah. The the Americans. He said it's the reverse of beer. In Germany, (laughs) they drink more beer. So he thinks, well, why don't I get into sugar? Yeah. So he opens a large factory in California. He starts the Spreckles Sugar Company. The company town grew up around the factory and still exists. It's called Spreckles, California. And John Steinbeck worked in the town and the sugar factory the famous novelist of mice and men and all that and several scenes of his novels yeah a lot of his early novels have scenes set in spreckles so that's (laughs) that's where it comes from right so he's got this huge factory and he's coming up with new ways of innovation so he refines sugar in a different way so basically what used to happen i didn't know this You would get sugar in a loaf, like the equivalent of a bread loaf, but it would be all sugar. Like a giant sugar cube. Sugar cube, and you would chip off sugar when you needed it. Jeez. So he comes up with… Those were the days. Those were the days. He refines the sugar so it becomes (laughs) low price, clean, white. So it's not brown, it's white. And he puts it either granulated or in sugar cubes. Yeah. And this is like blowing people's minds that you know wow. you suddenly don't have to carry a loaf of sugar <laughs> around with yeah, you yeah, yeah. He then in 1876 realizes that he needs to get into Hawaii because that's where a lot of sugar's been grown and it's being imported into America and undercutting his sugar. He decides rather than compete against Hawaii, I'll just buy Hawaii. So he goes to Hawaii he visits King Kalkua. Who had huge debts? So Did Klaus it? comes in and says, "I'll pay off all your debts. Yeah. I'll fund you for the future." Well, what the? Because C- the king loved poker, huge gambling debts. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, "Look, if you fund me and pay off all my debts, yeah. I'll give you water rights. I'll give you land rights." Oh, Klaus found Sprecklesville <laughs> in Hawaii on the North Shore of Maui, which is the home of Peahi, which is also known as Jaws. The famous big breaking waves. Oh, of course, yeah. So he, this yeah. is where the surfing comes in. He's suddenly got a a, a town right. right there. He
1: doesn't know it yet, but
0: it's going it. to become important down yeah. the track. In 1883, Spreckles purchased the entire Hawaiian crop of sugar. <laughs> so he just buys everything. So he is just running Hawaii. This is yeah. before it's a state or anything, right? He's just taking over, and he ends up amassing a fortune in Hawaii. Like he makes so much money that back in the US. He's buying railways. He's buying other industries. He is one of the richest Americans of all time. Yeah. So he's huge. He dies in 1908 after all of this. He was 80 years old. He'd become one of the wealthiest Americans of all time. He's 40th on the list of wealthiest U.S. Americans of all time with an estate worth more than, if you adjust it, $15 billion. Jeez Louise. So he is as rich as you can get Good on when it. he dies. Well done. Well played. His family when he dies, they all fall apart and start suing and counter suing, fighting over the inheritance. This is typical. Though. Typical of the family. The two oldest brothers is John D and Adolf. Right? <laughs> this Adolf, unlike Klaus, he's the grandfather of Bunker Spreckles. These two brothers, they get along well and so what they do is they team up and they sue and counter sue all the other brothers and sisters. And they on what win. grounds? Well, they're all suing over who gets the inheritance. Oh, and basically John D and Adolf get control of most of the fortune. teams. team, sue the rest. And sue the rest and win. Cut off the branch, yep. save the Dozens. Brand. And apparently John D, someone once said of him, John D would sue you if you looked at him sideways. <laughs> <laughs> so they're very litigious. John D goes on to, which we'll sort of leave him here, but he goes on to basically build San Diego. So he's like the founding father of San Diego. He creates a whole other empire down there based around transport and railways and all this sort of stuff and he sort of splits off from the family. But Adolf, who's Bunker's grandfather, becomes the crazy branch of the family. Here we go. So he, when his father dies, when Klaus dies, while his brother's setting up San Diego in his own empire using a lot of the money that he inherited... And John is on the board of the sugar company. But Adolf takes over the running it. He becomes company president. And he's very loyal to his brother, John, and he was to his father. One of the reasons he was so loyal to his father and his brother is back in 1894 when he was about 20 and his dad was still alive, his father saved him. Adolf attempts to kill the proprietor, the owner, and editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, Mike DeYoung, because he'd written, done a press campaign Denouncing Klaus Spreckel's Hawaiian business dealings, right? right? So the Chronicle has for months been saying it's a monopoly. It uses its strength to squash everyone else. It basically owns Hawaii, it owns all the trade between Hawaii and everything.
1: Adolf sturdied up and got to do something. Adolf his is furious.
0: So Adolf, one day he turns up and DeYoung is going into his office and someone yells out and he turns around and there is Adolf with a gun and fires two shots at him, shoots Young twice, the editor. He falls over and he pulls some books on top of him. One of them stops a bullet going to his heart. It bounces off the book and goes into his arm. That old one. That old one. Spreckles continues to come towards him with the gun and is trying to basically shoot him while he's on the ground. He's already been shot. Another man pulls a pistol who's in the office and shoots Spreckles in the arm. And then another man jumps over a railing of a desk and tackles Spreckles to the ground and holds him down until the police comes. So Spreckles is charged with attempted Attempted murder. murder. Attempted murder. DeYoung survives, but Spreckles pleads temporary insanity to the charge, and the jury acquit him. They say he had a neurological headache. (laughs) (laughs) He <laughs> would have had some good lawyers. So. The New York Times writes of the San Francisco, well money can do anything in this city because it seems San Francisco is just out of the wild west at this point, yeah. right? Like so the a San Francisco Chronicle, who's not exactly impartial, that's the yeah. editor who got shot. They report that the jury had been manipulated. Apparently jurors were visible from the street. And they were relaxing rather than debating. When they were meant to be debating, they were <laughs> the Two jury members appeared near the window and dropped a bit of paper to friends of out of Spreckles before the thing. So they think it was all being negotiated how gotcha. much to buy them off rather than they weren't yeah. deb- going over the case, right? No one really looks into it, though, because it all just things. Now, the Mike DeYoung, who'd been shot, he was not that surprised because he came from a very rich family too, yes. they owned the paper as well as him being the editor. The reason he wasn't that surprised is his brother Charles the Young had been acquitted from shooting someone at blank range who was the mayor. <laughs> he would shot the mayor well, shot can and got a so, cool, cool, yeah, so they so yeah, so they were kind of like, "This is just what happens in San yeah. Francisco, right?" So Adolf is acquitted, and so Adolf, not long after evading this, he meets the love of his life. He had a lot of loves of his life, but this was his new wife. And the de Young family and the Spreckels family are the two rich families and yes. they are fusing with each other. And the next bit of the feud that happens is Adolf takes a new wife who is seen as lowborn. And so the de Youngs and the High Society of San Francisco look down on her. And they don't write terrible things about her, I hope. No, but they, it frees her out. And her name is Alma de Brettville. And she's the fifth of six children, and she was, came from very poor upbringing. At 14, she quits school to work in the family business. But meanwhile, she also had developed a love of art. So she, Alma goes along and enrolls in the Mark Hopkins Institute of Art to study painting. Right. She found herself, because she was six foot and a statuesque figure and incredibly beautiful, mm. suddenly she's inundated with requests to pose for artists. Okay. So she's doing like all this sort of stuff. And she's also she's also willing to pose nude, which made her incredibly popular so. <laughs> and financially comfortable. So she was totally infamous as a party girl, posed nude for artists, credible Sheesh. beauty, all this sort of stuff. Now, this is before she'd met Adolf. She really came to everyone's attention because she had all this money, but she always wanted to marry rich. She would say all the time, that she had a great destiny to fulfill and she'd say, I'd rather be an old man's darling than a young man's slave. So she was always like, I'm marrying for money. Right. She met a miner who had come into a lot of money named Charlie Anderson. She becomes his mistress and then later he refuses to marry her. So she sues him for personal (laughs) defloweration. (laughs) <laughs> so she wow. basically says, You took my virginity wow. promising to marry me and then cost you didn't you. do it. That's gonna cost you. So she sues him. This is a scandalous case because she's like this great beauty who poses nude. He's this like minor, he says no. She asks for fifty thousand dollars, he says no, and she ends up winning in court thirty thousand dollars. And so she got this reputation as being for this deflowered. For being deflowered. So she's known as this party girl you don't mess with, Yeah. right? A year later after that, she meets Adolf Spreckels. And the reason she recognized him is she gets this famous modeling gig. There is a massive statue in San Francisco called the Goddess of Victory. Yes. It's a huge statue. On top of it is this Goddess of Victory. Now, she modeled for that. Is that, right?
1: so is that still there today? It's
0: still there today. It's quite famous if you're in San Francisco. She's 22 when she's doing this. Now, Adolf Spreckels is 46 and he's funding the statue. And he right. meets her and he is like, falls in, head over heels in love. Right. doesn't care about the age difference. According to the, uh, her biographer, their first date took place in a restaurant called The Poodle Dog, which had a hidden back elevator and a passageway to a hotel. So it's sort of where rich men hey, took for, a second. A hanky-panky. A uh, hanky-panky. A little off-Broadway activity. E- exactly. So they are together for five years and eventually he does marry her in 1908. She refers to him because he's now the head of the sugar yeah. company as her sugar daddy, uh, which is where that's the term not where the phrase comes that's from. where they think the term Sh- sugar up. daddy comes from, because he's a rich man who she marries for the money, and they met while she was modelling for a statue he commissioned.
1: Yeah, I like this
0: story. Yeah, I know. So she, so that's where the sugar daddy comes from. <laughs>
1: Because he's literally like. It
0: makes sense. It's my sugar daddy. So he really was her sugar daddy. He threw money at her. You yeah. got to remember, these guys are rich as. Seems. You know, they're the Jeff Bezos, the Elon yeah, Musk yeah, of yeah. the day, right? It's literally that much money. These are the, the robber barons of the day. Yeah, they're the sugar barons. He built her a mansion. They had to buy all the homes around it to basically build the mansion yes. so they knocked down all these homes. She had so much money, she liked some of the houses they were going to have to knock down so she just had the houses moved. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much money we're talking about. Oh, wow! It is a huge mansion that is still famous today in San Francisco and it is now owned by the romance novelist Daniel Steele so it's really, really well done your research. Adolph was so rich, he also owned a whole bunch of racehorses. He owned a horse called Morvich, which was the first Californian bred horse to win the Kentucky Derby in Jeez. 1922. It's all happening. Alma was totally freezed out by the city society crowd. They just didn't invite her or anything. So they didn't let her kids get into the best school. They didn't let her into the country club. And they just thought she was young 22, you're not allowed. So she decides to start her own bohemian salon of inviting people over, having parties, charity stuff. Her own clique. Her own clique. They're all very avant-garde, internationally acclaimed artists, writers. She's invited statesmen and nobility over. So she's like, okay, well, you won't let me into San Francisco. One. I'll invite people yeah. who are well-known from overseas and invite them up. So she just set that up. During the both of the World Wars and the Great Depression, She just would host cherry auction after cherry auction. She let the garage in their house, which was fit a lot. That became a bomb shelter for people. So she starts winning people over by just constantly doing all these things. She's a total party girl. She's known for constantly swimming nude in her pool (laughs) and ordering margaritas every afternoon. She just sat by the pool and drank margaritas with people and she'd have, you know, like all sorts of weird, eclectic people over all the time. Fantastic. She then decides she's sick of them snubbing her and so the family's rivalry with the de Youngs escalates When whenever she sees the de Young daughters at social events, she would loudly say to her friends, we haven't been friends since my husband shot their father. <laughs> She'd just say it loud. <laughs> it's really loud. She's doing all this sort of stuff. So she would have people like the Queen of Romania over And on vacation in Paris, she becomes great friends with Auguste Rodin, the sculptor, the thinker, you know. So she buys 13 of his statues. I was going to say, did she model for him? She didn't model, but she bought 13. They become great friends. The de Youngs found the city's first ever major museum in San Francisco. So she decides that she's going to make an even bigger museum, (laughs) almost next door to it. And it's now known as the Legion of Honor Museum, absolutely famous, Mm. looks over the Golden Gate Bridge. She said, I'm purely doing this to show the the young snooty daughters what a real museum should look like. (laughs) Their museum is the MHD Young Memorial Museum and hers is the Legion of Honor Museum. They merge in 1972 and are now the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco. So she has three children, Alma, Emma, Aldolf Bernard Jr., which is Bunker's father, yes. and another daughter, Dorothy Constance. Now, amazingly, when one thing Adolf forgot to tell Alma when they got married is that he had a raging case of syphilis. Okay. Which, you know, which was
1: the style of the time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: She only discovered that he had it after the birth of their third child because while she was giving birth, the doctor had to leave her side to go treat Adolf's syphilis-induced seizures. <laughs> This was deadly around that time. Yeah, so. there could be. So anyway, apparently she never caught it because it was in a sort of a latent yeah, phase no. so she was really cool. lucky and the kids didn't get it either. He ended up in a wheelchair from it though and dies of syphilis later on so he has a real thing. So we now move on to Adolf B. Spreckles Jr. who he is his Bunker's dad. dad. We're getting warmer. We're getting warmer. That was a great generation, though. The, that generation, the, Al, Alma ends up called the grandmother of San Francisco. She is absolutely yeah. fated when she dies the years matriarch. later. She's the major of the. So she ends up winning. She ends up being the. Doyen. The doyen. She funds all the top cultural institutions. Her name's on everything. The Spreckles have. In Golden Gate Park, the lake is called Spreckles Lake. Okay. And it's so it's really Adolf and her. The next Adolf. Bunker's father does not carry on the Proud tradition. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He is a huge disappointment to absolutely everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the idiot. He's he the is idiot. the idiot oh, son. No. What's wrong with him? Well, there's everything going on with him. So Alma's nephew, Charles Edward de Brettville, he actually takes over the company. So it's not the son that takes over; it's actually her nephew Adolf's that takes over.
1: They're not throwing the keys to the key yeah. Tower
0: Adolf Spreggles Junior, Bunker's dad. So he grows up with you're not running the company. Yeah, he has about fifty million dollars though. Yeah, here's some. So spending he's got money. here's your money. He's got a fortune, and he proceeds to just run through it. Now he is <laughs> seen as an absolute liability <laughs> and also not a nice man. Uh-huh. He's said to have a mean street. Often acting out of pure violence. The family all call him Little Adolf. Right. And by then, the name Adolf has started the its a, 30s. It's yeah. starting to, I'm disappointed. I thought he might
1: have just been like a bit foppish or foolish. No, he's, he's a nasty, 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 nasty man.
0: He's a daredevil. He was once piloting a hydroplane on Green Lake in Seattle in 1936. And he stuck the throttle and got caught and the boat went airborne over the crowd because it's, you know, a a hydroplane. It flew over one woman's head then struck several other spectators before coming to rest against a truck. Adolf Jr.'s thrown from the boat, lands on a telephone pole with the climbing spike impaling his upper left arm and he hung there until rescuers were able to lift him down. (laughs) He had to have surgeries throughout his life on his arm and face to restore them. One of the spectators, a guy called Ord Lockhart, he was killed in it, he was watching the race from his wheelchair and the boat hit him. Right. And so spread and he dies. Now, of course, his money all gets him out of any liability sure. of all this. He also sued his mum, Alma, for one point five million for mishandling her father's fortune. Now that's just because he wanted more money. Right. He's spending all the money. He had something like seven or eight wives plus numerous girlfriends. He gambled, drank, went everywhere, married all top models and all this sort of stuff. He got charged numerous times with beating them. One wife accuses him of also being a Nazi sympathizer and tells stories of him. So he's a bad egg. He's not good. He's not good. He does marry. His third wife is Brunker Spreckle's mother, Kay Williams. Now, Kay Williams had been rushed into an early marriage And by the age of 20, she was a D4C, which at the time was not good. Did she sue the previous Uh, husband? She didn't do that, but it was just So she appears in all these magazines and she's lauded as the most beautiful model of the year. So she is seen as like this top model in America. She then gets signed by NGM to a Hollywood contract Yep, and is this huge potential starlet. Now, it never really works out for her in the movies. She okay. stars as a lot of bit parts. At 941, she marries a guy called Martin D'Alzaga Unzu, who's a millionaire cattle rancher playboy from Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> <There> <laughs> now, that's a title, right?
1: Yeah, yeah it is. That's <laughs> um, what I want to be. A playboy cattle rancher from, from Argentina.
0: Argentina. I mean, uh, mate. when it, when a kid asks what he want to be when you grow up, that's what you say. Surely. Can't be that. <laughs> he actually filed for an annulment after 10 days of marriage but dropped the suit later. She then sues him eight months later, citing cruelty, their divorce, and that's when she meets Adolf Spreckels Jr. That sounds like a turbulent one. She's his sixth wife, so this is Bunga's wow, mum. Yeah. Now, while she's married to Adolf Jr., and he's barely around, she receives a call from an MGM executive saying, there's a going-away party MGM, this is in 1940s, saying, will you come have dinner with Clark Gable? And right. she says, well, I'm married, I can't. Yeah. And they say, oh, okay, don't worry then. So she turns Clark Gable down. Six months later, Clark Gable rings her out of the blue and says, oh, I'm sorry I wasn't able to see you and you couldn't come, but would you like to come around to my ranch for dinner? And at this point her and Albert are on not steady ground. So she goes over and has dinner with Clark Gable Apparently, Clark's cook tripped on the way into the dining room and the main course flies everywhere and they're both covered in gravy. And they both burst into laughter and Clark says, well, that first date with me and you end up in gravy, at least you won't forget it. They seem to see each other off and on for a year having an affair and then Clark then has a wandering eye and he goes off and marries a woman called Sylvia Ashley who's his fourth wife and they don't speak again. Right. Kathleen then has two children, Adolf third, who becomes Bunker in 1949, <laughs> and Joan, her daughter. I thought you were going to say Adolf was going to be Clark Gable's son. and <laughs> no. That would have just been. In 1953, the marriage has totally deteriorated between her and Adolf Jr. They have a messy divorce. He accuses her of being a heartless gold digger in court. <laughs> right. She tells stories of him beating her unconscious with her own slipper and threatening with her an axe. Both accuse the other of being an alcoholic. Adolf Jr. her of having an affair with Clark Gable. Yes. This is all playing out in the media, um, which was plausible and probably likely. <laughs> the story makes headline all over America and Spreckles, Bunker's dad, ends up in jail for wife beating. Tricky. So it really escalates. Yeah. That means that suddenly they're divorced and then one day out of the blue in 1954, Clark Gable rings K again. They haven't spoke for about 10 years. Yes. And I said a dinner, and they click, and they're inseparable from then on. They're married. So Bunker, who's five, suddenly has Clark Gable as his stepdad, and this is when wow. Clark Gable is at the absolute height of his yeah. Hollywood fame. Bunker hates his dad at all. Yeah. hates him <laughs> for good reason. Right? Yeah, it doesn't have a relationship. He's taken the mother's side, and just doesn't see his dad. Is he's, he's, you know, he's a dick. He sounds like he's yeah, he's a dick. the worst person. Yeah. Almost ever. So Bunker suddenly finds himself living on the Gable Ranch in California. (laughs) And Clark Gable takes Bunker on as his own. And he's by all accounts a wonderful stepfather. So they do everything together. Bunker says later of Gable, he couldn't go out on the streets without causing a riot. That's how popular Mm -hmm. he was. I don't think there's anybody that come around today as far as just out and out being a superstar that's more famous than Clark Gable was and still is. I'm not talking about rich. I'm just talking about fame. I got to know him on a level that most people wouldn't ever normally get to know him. I'll say one thing. He was the same way at home as he was on the screen. He didn't change very much. He was from that no crap school of acting and that's the way he lived too. He was never one to talk about himself. He taught me how to shoot. He taught me how to use different weapons, knives and bull whips, that type of thing. Yes. He was good with a whip. He was good with a lasso, good in the cowboy arts, good with horses. He was good with animals. He was also into hunting and fishing. Bunker's taken to Africa to hunt. <laughs> this <laughs> is back <laughs> in, you know, the day where it was all yeah. macho to go. He'd hang out at all these Hollywood places. He'd go to the Hawaii with Clark Gable all it the time. like a Hemingway character. Yeah, it was yeah. like a total upbringing of being this – Tough macho bloke, you know, out in the hunting (sighs) animals in all the days. days. At the same time, while this is going on, his father is spending his millions at an alarming rate. And Bunker realizes, I'm never going to have an inheritance because my dad will have spent it all. Mm. And his dad believes that what will happen is he'll spend it all, knowing he'll then inherit Alma's money. So he's Mm. like, I'll spend my money knowing I'm going to inherit money. Right. But Bunker thinks by the time I inherit it, I will have no money. But sure. Like, and Clark Gable's not as anywhere near as, as his, wealthy. He's as wealthy, as but, yeah, I mean, it's not, you like know, it's, it's not the same thing. But Bunker's happy living with Clark Gable. But in 1960, he's 11, Bunker, Gable has a heart attack and dies. And this is Sen's terror. Bunker, like, suddenly he's left without the one father figure in his life. Yeah. A year later, his father then dies as well. Right. So suddenly he's fatherless and his stepfather's died and he's basically at a complete loose end. His mother inherits everything from Clark Gable. Yeah. They're still living on the Clark Ranch. But Bunker uses the actor's Oscar trophy as a doorstop for the next <laughs> years, it's like it's just living a totally weird existence. And there's no money coming from the dead Adolf stream. No, because that's he's spent it all. Spent it all. And Alma's still alive, and so he's not poor. He's living in yeah. Clark Gables house sure. and all this, but he's not. He's got no money really right. for him. Between the age of fifteen and eighteen, he makes ends meet by selling weed all around <laughs> California. <laughs> He said he was so good that he made $5,000 a week. There you go. So he's making a win. His girlfriend at the time was Miss Teen California. <laughs> so he's not exactly like <laughs> she'd won a fur. I don't need to feel sorry for this guy. No, no, you don't need to feel sorry. She'd won a fur coat, $5,000, and a free car when she won Miss Teen California. So he and her would just kill time cruising around, selling dope, hanging out. Oh,
1: my like, God. So he's not
0: having a – he – Went to Saint John's Military Academy. He said it was a nightmare, but I liked it. It, I learned a lot. I learned to hack it with all those guys every day. Their egos running rampant in the playground. Yeah. He decides he quite likes it so much. He wants to go to Vietnam to fly missions, right? But at the same time, he's kind of getting pulled into this '60s culture of surfing, hippies, dope. He's got a mis girlfriend. Suddenly, he thinks. I don't know if flying and killing people yeah. in Vietnam is really going to be. I know which way I'd be leaning. Mickey Dora, who is one of the most famous surfers of all time, and we'll have to do an episode on him yeah. in the future, way more famous as a surfer um, than Bunker. But he names Bunker the genetic space child because he says, this kid's just so out there. Yeah. We kind of like him. So at 18, Bunker decides to turn his back on the family fortune on anything and go to Hawaii to the North Shore and he just becomes a penniless itinerant surfer. No money. He lives off fruit in the jungle. It's like a total mogly kind She's of going jungle going back to book. where the family made their the fortune. The family made their fortune. But what's he going to do? Nothing. Just surf. <laughs> so the story goes he starts living in a pillbox in the jungle up above the North Shore, and that's where he gets the nickname Bunker. Right. He survives on little more than fruit that was just around on trees. He is well-known to all the islands' nobility because his family supported the king for so long. Yes. Some of them believe he's a reincarnated Hawaiian prince, and they start teaching him about Pacific Island life, you know, hunting, fishing, all this sort of stuff. On top of that, Clark Gable was held in high esteem in Hawaii because he was very good friends with a guy called Duke Kanamoku, who – is the figure basically believed as the modern father of surfing in Hawaii. The Duke. The Duke. And the Duke had been an actor and he'd also been an Olympic yeah. swimmer and all this. So him and Clark Gable were very friends. So basically through both lines of the Spreckles and the Gables, he is seen as this right. like, yeah, a native, not a… There's a lot to like. There's a lot they like him. Teach and so he's endeared to them. So the Beach Boys of Kiki, they all become his mentors and teach him surfing and he becomes a really good surfer. There's no professional surfing at this point, right? Surfing's in its nascent sort of stage. For years, he's just living off the land, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs, just surfing and all that sort of stuff. He then starts to party a little bit and he's making money, starts to build surfboards. Right. Surfing magazines get wind of this sort of blonde, statuesque, maverick surfer who is also the heir to the Spreckles fortune. Yes. and go, this is an interesting story. So they start taking pictures of him and doing all this mm-hmm. and he starts to become known. And this is as the surfing industry is really just starting to get going yeah. and this idea of this counterculture of surfers. That yes. So here's this boy living in the wild. He's a poster boy. Clark Gable, stepson, they're all like, this is fascinating. Yeah. And in his late teens, becomes part of this group that pioneers a revolutionary short surfboard. So you know they the big long ones? These yeah, correct. This is the hang five, hang ten, ten boards, right. the long boards. These guys start using short surfboards like today's ones yeah. to surf these huge waves and cut through the waves and all this. And so he starts to be one of the key guys that develops what's now called the fish surfboard, which is like any short surfboard yeah. you see today. He starts to become a key pusher of this in hard edge boards and he would lo- ride them either lying down on his knees or standing up often on the one wave so yeah. he's starting to doing some really interesting things all the guys that live in his house a guy called Vinny brian rick Valve, all these others these become like the great innovators of surfboard sure. design and he, they're basically all living in his house and he is he's not really building a lot of the boards but he'll go and surf and come back with ideas yeah gotcha. and then others will build it so he's credited with Some of the stuff which is called a down rail, which is just how the edge of the surfboard is made, that is now universal on everything. He's part of the group that come up with that. So he's seen as this amazing guy. This all changes massively for him when in 1968 his grandmother Alma passes away and because his dad's dead, he inherits all the money. He inherits $50 million in 1968. Bang. He's 21. He's allowed to get it. He said, I wasn't in line to inherit the money in the first place. The only reason I inherited money was because of a sequence of events, the way people died in my family. Had my father lived, he very easily and very probably would have spent the money that I had inherited. He expected my grandmother to die. The money that she was holding would have gone to him and his sisters. He would have gotten that money, so he was spending his money. He yeah. was just waiting for hers. Waiting for that to But he along. died first, so the money she would have given him, she gave to me. In the days leading up to his birthday, when he turns 21 and can get the money, Bunker told his friends, what are we going to do? Do you want a million dollars? What are we going to do with it? Should we just go on the road and yeah. travel and all that? We've got all the money in the world. What would you like to build? What could we do? When he turns 21, he rents an armored car. <laughs> Drives to the bank, <laughs> insists on his fifty million dollars in cash. Cash, no. This my is what God, this no. is. What. Now I question whether this is true, but we'll, well, let me finish this bit and then we'll have a chat about it because it's interesting. He demanded cash. He took it to a secret location he called his back cave, where he kept treasures he didn't want anyone to see. He said, "It's just a place I have that nobody knows where it is, where I keep certain objects, art treasures, things I don't want people to see." Plus, it's where I can do things that I don't want people to know what I'm doing. It's just a secret place that I have here on the earth where I can go and be alone. I've got all my things of value hidden there and everything is arranged very neatly. It's like, you know, the Batcave cave or something. Now, I have looked into this on the net yes. as much as I can. One, I find it implausible that they just gave him $50 million $50 million, in cash. off you go. Thanks. And Bunker is beginning to be a bit of a, knows how to say things to get attention. Right. Okay. At the same time, it's the family is so nuts. It's not completely implausible that he did do something like this. No, they, it's not the most outrageous thing. Because other people about. say he did have places where he squirreled away stuff and hid stuff. So I am shocked that there is, if he really did this, that there is not like the myth of Bunker's cave of treasure. If there's $50 yeah. million in a cave in Hawaii somewhere, why isn't this a bigger story? Why aren't people trying to find yeah. it? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Gotcha. But he does. That's what he says he did. All right. Either way, he's inherited fifty million dollars, and then from this point, it's like a party switch is flicked on. Okay, here we go. So overnight, he sets up branch offices around the world. He buys places or rents places permanently in the Hotel George the Fifth in Paris, Hotel Edward in South Africa. He's got Sunset Tower in Hollywood. He's got Kaluma Estates in Kahuku, got Yacht Harbor Towers in Honolulu. So suddenly he basically has these ranch apartments. Yeah, apartments all around the world that he can go and surf and party and do all that. He suddenly becomes into surfing but also spectacular excess. Yeah. How can I live the most rock star lifestyle like Mick Jagger was his Definitely. hero? So suddenly it's marijuana, acid, cocaine, heroin, you name it, women. At one point he's accused by a local crime syndicate of dealing drugs on their turf and they beat him senseless. So he takes up martial arts in response (laughs) and becomes a martial arts expert. Yeah, okay. In 1969 he's become this travel there's no professional surf tour so it's, he's traveling around the globe surfing with other top surfers but he's paying for it all yeah. so they'll all turn up in the town go surf these areas sure. find new places to surf it's almost like they're laying the groundwork for future professional yeah. proper tour Yeah.
1: this um, is the but
0: template not, for the future yeah traveling World with tour, the sun yeah. going yeah. to weird like amazing places and all that he then Uh, As he's doing it, he recruits a guy called Art Brewer who goes on to become the surf photographer of all time. That's a great name. Yeah. And Art Brewer starts documenting Bunker's lifestyle. So Bunker is appearing in all these surf magazines and everything as this rich, hedonistic prince of surfing. He calls himself the prince of decadence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is he any good? He's a good he's, surfer. He's he not like the best surfer, but he's very good. Yeah. He could have mixed it with the professionals, but I think he got a bit caught up with the rest of this thing. Yeah. So Art Brewer is just like, this is amazing. This guy, he said, it's all expenses paid trip. And he says it was just pure 24-7 craziness. Anything had happened and did as I followed him around. They traveled to Los Angeles, London, South Africa, Paris, just to surf and photograph their experience. And there's great photos yeah. online of of Bunker and crazy. He dressed crazily. He's perfect. He was tall. He's muscular. He's got blonde hair. He's not surfing board shorts. He's got furs, flares, and leather pants. <laughs>
1: Love he's it. got
0: huge sunglasses, all this sort of stuff. To this day, there's sunglasses and they're called Bunker Spreckles sunglasses. And they're the big, uh, yeah, they're all that. He actually has traveling with him as well as Art Brewer. He has a whole coterie of writers, artists, photographers and filmmakers. And he's basically become the lead character in this almost reality TV show yeah, gotcha. well before there's reality TV sure. shows. Parties, hangers-on, they're surrounded by beautiful women all the time all these surf druggies, it's this counterculture thing. He basically shows surfing documentaries before there's surfing documentaries. You know, it's all that sort of stuff happening. At one point he calls up Art and says, get on a plane, come to South Africa, be here in South Africa as soon as you can. And then they get there and it's all crazy. They meet up and he just said, I went to the Pan Am desk and he just paid straight away for a first class round the world tickets saying, because I don't know where we're going, so we'll just go, yeah, go, whatever. One time they're in South Africa, he's got this girlfriend, Ellie, who is apparently a, a stunning girl and sort of the prototype of the surf, blonde surfer chick. Yep. She's the one person that sort of keeps him even and calm. Sure. They're there, they're driving somewhere with Art Brewer and Bunker, and they accidentally drive their brand new Mercedes off the road into a river and it gets stuck. Bunker couldn't be bothered getting the vehicle out, so he just walks to the nearest home, calls the Mercedes dealership, and says, Bring out a new Mercedes, which they do. <laughs> there you go. He like we'll get back to the hotel and they'll say the chef's asleep. So I'll say, I'll pay any money to get the chef to come back. Yeah. And I'll do it. all this. So they're doing all this sort of stuff and it's all being photographed. But at the same time, he's dropping acid every day. He said I'd mix a thing with acid, mescaline, and LSD, and I'd smash it up and chop it in all powder, keep it in a bottle, and when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd take a little snort. <laughs> Breakfast of the Champions. <laughs> Breakfast there of the Champions. Is. In 1970, he says that he met the devil and he was in talks to play Kenneth Anger, who was a really obscure kind of film director yes. in the 60s and 70s, very counterculture, wanted him to play the devil. And he said he could play the devil because he'd met the devil before. Mm. And they said, okay. why do you not fear Satan? And he was being interviewed and he says, he doesn't scare me. They said, have you seen him? He said, yes, I met him in 1970. And they said, what was that all about? It was a personal conversation between the two of us as to what I might want to do with myself. <laughs> and the interviewer said, what were you doing at the time? And he said, oh, you know, I was surfing, learning how to make surfboards, studying magic. Mm-hmm. Were you doing any drugs <laughs> at the time? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh just peyote, marijuana <laughs> and hash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He saw the devil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he then... Starts to meet a guy called Tony Alva and a guy called C.R. Stekic. They're part of the Dogtown Skate Crew who, if you know the movie um, The Lords of Dogtown, the documentary, right. huge film. These are the beginning of skateboarding culture. Yeah. okay. Bunker becomes a real inspiration for them and he actually invests money in Tony Alva who creates the first line of skateboards made by skateboarders and also... Um, okay designs the first skate shoes for the company Vans. Yeah, there you go. So Bunker's inspiring and funding a lot of this. Fantastic. And that becomes a long-term sort of thing that happens. Tony Alva, who's the skater, he says that he was living with Bunker Spreckles. And he said, I lived in Hollywood and Hawaii with him. And he said he just was this full-on guy. He taught me you needed to be full-on and promote yourself. I wouldn't have won world championships without him, he said. The last time he saw Bunker, He said, I knew he was using hard drugs, but I hope he'd get it together. And he said, he gave me a hug and a look and said, don't worry about me. I'll see you in LA. He says, that was the last time I ever saw him. I was staying at my dad's place when I got back to California when I received a call that he'd been found overdosed in the house right in front of the pipeline. What happened is Brewer and Stekic, they were talking to Rolling Stone at the time about a massive story about Bunker. He was going to be the front cover. And news came through at the age of 27, he'd been found OD'd on morphine at the North Shore, joining that list like Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, 27. And partly that's why he's become an icon to this day. The thing people say about him was was he any ever good? Or was he just sort of this ridiculous showman with too (laughs) much money? A load of cash. They say he was very good. He probably wasn't the top surfer or anything like that, but they say what was amazing is he carved out this surfing path that wasn't laid out for him. Yes. So this idea of touring around the world, going to the hot spots, filming, documenting it, the idea of fashion, drugs, all this stuff has influenced surf culture more than anything else that's come since. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of when we were doing the James
1: Hunt story and the initial – Group who's involved, yeah, Hesketh Racing, H- Hesketh Racing, which yeah. in the end established the whole hoopla around the circuit, That's which right. was the party, the glamour, flying in supermodels and the exactly. rich people, and that everything you associate prior to that it was just a bit working class it, and, and a bunch of blokes. Yeah, it was he created a, the circus surrounding, and if so. you go
0: and look at the photos of him, you go, well, this is just every surfing photo. Yeah. ever since like yes. the, the lifestyle around it the way they're dressed the partying yeah. this, you know everything to do with it art brewer who'd photographed all this was a huge reason that bunkers still even remembered to this day because mm. he probably if he wasn't photographed or a catalog of it was before like i think it was 75 76 the professional tour started to even get going yep. so there wasn't no, that like so for a lot of his life there wasn't and he dies in nineteen seventy-seven. yeah he said, the appeal of Bunker's story is that he was like this shooting star that blazed real bright but then just had to fall back to earth. Bunker had everything going for him but in the end it destroyed him. It's, and that is the story of Bunker's freckles. not the worst
1: life. I, I've <laughs> got to say, we're not here for a haircut <laughs> and not dying wondering.
0: But it's just this amazing thing, This family, Sugar Barrens. It's a big story. San Diego. Term sugar daddy comes from it. Winds like, his way
1: back to Hawaii where he's fated. Uh,
0: yeah. It's just inherits you know, the money. The whole story, everyone says, if he'd never inherited the money, he would have been fine. But what would he have been doing? Living well, he'd in a probably just or living or in it, Hawaii surfing, you know? He was really together. He was just having a fun time. The money absolutely destroyed him. The money gave him this idea that he needed to do something with it. He said he got trapped to almost playing a character by the end. Well, his stepfather, Clark Gable, would have approved. No (laughs) doubt.
1: It's a massive story once again. Has there ever been like an attempt to make a movie about him? There's a documentary that came out uh, a few
0: years ago. But yeah, there's been talk about doing a movie. Lots I of people would That would in, be man. a fun film to watch. Just the whole thing. I it's mean, got it's it like all, sus- hasn't it? it's like Succession. You know, it's this fam <laughs> the, the family story alone is just incredible. I mean, incredible things that goes on. Just shows you though, having too much
1: money. But as you say, even those guys who are, you can try and write it off as being a bit frivolous and a lot of money. So, but he is on the cusp of surfboard design and skateboard design. He's put himself into an area. Yeah, yeah. That makes it right. more relevant. And than, he funded a lot of those crazy. early things. Well, good on him. And he's met the devil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You've done it again. Thank you. That is a good yarn. Good on your Titus O'Reilly. If you want more Sports Bazaar, simply go to any of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. We've got the whole lot. And we also have Bazaar plus our membership program where you can get even more content. Simply go to the link in the show notes to sign up to become a member.